1: gentlemen. Welcome to the TD Bank Group Q3 2021 Earnings Conference Call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Ms. Jillian Manning. Please go ahead, Ms. Manning.
2: Thank you, Operator. Good afternoon and welcome to TD Bank Group's third quarter 2021 investor presentation. We will begin today's presentation with remarks from Barrett Masrani, the bank's CEO, after which Riaz Ahmed, the bank's CFO, will present our third quarter operating results. Ajay Bambawale, Chief Risk Officer, will then offer comments on credit quality, after which we will invite questions from pre-qualified analysts and investors on the phone. Also present today to answer your questions are Terry Curry, Group Head, Canadian Personal Banking, Greg Bracca, President and CEO of TD Bank, America's Most Convenient Bank, and Bob Doran, Group Head, Wholesale Banking. Please turn to slide two. At this time, I would like to caution our listeners that this presentation contains forward-looking statements that there are risks that actual results could differ materially from what is discussed, and that certain material factors or assumptions were applied in making these forward-looking statements. Any forward-looking statements contained in this presentation represent the views of management and are presented for the purpose of assisting the bank's shareholders and analysts in understanding the bank's financial position, objectives and priorities, and anticipated financial performance. Forward-looking statements may not be appropriate for other purposes. I would also like to remind listeners that the bank uses non-GAAP financial measures to arrive at adjusted results to assess each of its businesses and to measure overall bank performance. The bank believes that adjusted results provide readers with a better understanding of how management views the bank's performance. Barrett will be referring to adjusted results in his remarks. Additional information on items of note, the bank's reported results, and factors and assumptions related to forward-looking information are all available in our Q3 2021 report to shareholders. With that, let me turn the presentation over to Barrett.
3: Thank you, Jillian, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Q3 was a strong quarter for TD with net income after tax of $3.6 billion and EPS of $1.96, well above last year's levels and just shy of our record Q2 results. We had strong revenue growth in the personal and commercial banking businesses as rising customer activity drove higher volumes and fee income and margin pressure were eased. Wealth insurance and wholesale earnings moderated but remained well above pre-pandemic levels, and aggregate AUA and AUM across our Canadian and U.S. wealth platforms surpassed $1 trillion for the first time. Our ct one ratio ended the quarter at 14.5%, reflecting these strong fundamentals and good credit conditions against the backdrop of an improving macro environment. This capital position gives us considerable flexibility to pursue organic and inorganic growth opportunities, as well as return capital to shareholders when current restrictions are eased. As always, we will be disciplined in our approach, deploying capital thoughtfully and in support of our long-term strategic objectives. I'm very pleased with our performance this quarter and encouraged by the progress we are seeing in the North American economy, and across our client base. The pandemic is still very much with us, but there's growing evidence that everyone is learning how to manage through it. Last quarter, I said that as as economic conditions normalized, TD's strengths would come to the fore. That is exactly what is happening. We're adding new customers and deepening existing relationships and we look forward to supporting our customers through the next phase of the recovery with advice and solutions to meet their evolving financial needs, leveraging our 1TD model. Our Canadian retail segment earned $2.1 billion in, in, in the third quarter with strong revenue and volume growth. The personal and commercial bank had a terrific quarter with customer activity rebounding strongly, driving record volumes in many business lines. In real estate-secured lending and commercial, year-to-date net growth in loan volumes has surpassed full-year 2020 levels. While credit card balances are still being impacted by high savings rates, card retail sales reached a new high in Q3, as we've made creative use of accelerators and leverage our strategic relationships, including the new subscription offer we introduced this quarter with Instacart. Bonuses for TD Aeroplane cardholders who link their card to a Starbucks account. And our exclusive relationship with Amazon, which has seen customers make over 1 million redemptions using the Amazon Shop with Points capability on their TD card. On the deposit side, we extended our lead in personal deposits and commercial volumes remained strong. In the wealth business, while trading volumes moderated in line with the industry, Our advice channels, again, performed very well. We achieved record year-to-date net asset growth in our advice businesses and record year-to-date long-term sales in our TD Mutual Fund franchise. Insurance delivered strong top-line growth and saw a steady return to pre-COVID driving patterns. We supported our clients through two catastrophic weather events in Calgary and Barrie, providing ongoing relief. We also strengthened our position as the digital insurance leader in Canada with new capabilities like Same Day Online Quote and Bind. And our mobile banking app and website earned top marks for customer engagement and experience in a trio of surveys from Sensor Tower to Apptopia and SimilarWeb. Turning to the U.S., a U.S. retail bank delivered record earnings of $891 million this quarter on improved revenue and stable expenses. Deposit volumes moderated, but still grew at double-digit rates year-over-year as customers continue to trust TD for their banking needs. We saw further loan paydowns on the back of still high li- levels of liquidity, but debit and credit card transaction activity accelerated. In particular, we've seen strong take-up of our new double-up credit card, adding 50,000 customers since last quarter's launch. The card offers customers 1% cash back on purchases and another 1% when they redeem points into a TD deposit account, helping us broaden and deepen relationships. We continue to win on service, convenience, and safety. This quarter, we made it easier for customers to engage with us, enabling them to book in-person appointments online across our retail businesses. We added new capabilities in our stores to untether employees so they can serve our customers better. We continue to partner with top-tier fintech companies to offer small business and commercial clients integrated payment solutions. And we were proud to be ranked number one by insider intelligence for security and reputation in the 2021 Banking Digital Trust Report. In wholesale banking, Earnings were $330 million on a normalization in trading activity, partly offset by higher advisory fees. TD Securities won several signature mandates in the quarter and received further recognition for the investments we've made to strengthen our global platform and enhance the capabilities we offer our clients. We were active bookrunner and sole Canadian dealer on Air Canada's $2 billion high-yield cross-border trade the Canadian component of which was the largest ever high-yield deal in Canada. TD Securities was named Canada's Best Investment Bank in Euromoney's Awards for Excellence in 2021, our first time taking this honor. And in global markets, we were joint winners of Most Impressive Sovereign Supranational Agency House for Post-LIBOR Solutions and Most Impressive SSA Coverage Team at the 2021 Global Capital bond awards. We also built on our leadership in the ESG space, being selected as one of two structuring advisors to the Government of Canada on its inaugural green bond issuance. Overall, as I reflect on our performance so far this year, I'm pleased with the way we've navigated a complex and rapidly changing environment. We continue to benefit from our diversified business mix and our people have demonstrated their ability to rise to the current challenge. As we enter enter the final quarter of the year, the environment remains fluid. The pandemic is still raging in many parts of the world, and while rising vaccination rates have supported a strong recovery in economic and employment growth, new variants are challenging this forward progress and complicating reopening plans. That's why last week, We announced that starting November 1st, colleagues entering a TD workplace will need to be fully vaccinated or be subject to additional safety protocols. We believe vaccination is the best path out of the pandemic and the right way to protect the health and safety of our customers, colleagues, and communities. The benefits of the recovery taking hold around us are evident. It's critical we do everything we can to maintain and build on the gains. It's also clear those gains are not being distributed equally. A sustainable recovery must also be an inclusive recovery. We took several steps this quarter to advance that objective. In the U.S., we announced a 100 million U.S. dollar equity fund to support minority owned small businesses, with 25 million U.S. dollars targeted for black and Latinx owned firms to provide communities of color with access to the capital they need to grow their businesses. We launched new retail banking offerings on both sides of the border to better meet the needs of underserved customers. In Canada, we entered into a strategic alliance with Canada Post to increase access to financial services for Canadians, particularly in rural, remote, and indigenous communities. And in the U.S., we made changes to our overdraft policies and introduced TD Essential Banking, a low-cost deposit account supplemented by a suite of accessible and customized financial education tools. And we kicked off the annual TD Ready Challenge. This year's campaign will provide a total of $10 million in financial support to organizations that have developed scalable solutions to help K-12 students disproportionately affected by pandemic-related learning loss in math and reading. These purposeful investments reinforce the strength of our proven business model. They reflect our unique and inclusive culture, and they will enable us to continue playing a key role in driving forward the recovery and delivering the right outcomes for all of our stakeholders. None of this would be possible without our 90,000 TD bankers who bring our purpose to life and deliver each day on our vision to be the better bank. I'll end by thanking them for their hard work and dedication. With that, I'll turn it over to Riaz.
4: Thank you, Bart. Good afternoon, everyone. Please turn to slide nine. At this quarter, the bank reported earnings of $3.5 billion and EPS of $1.92. And adjusted earnings were $3.6 billion and adjusted EPS was $1.96. Revenue was even on a year-over-year basis as continued strong volume growth and higher fee income in the retail segments were offset by lower wholesale revenue and the impact of foreign currency translation and lower margins. Provisions for credit losses was a recovery of $37 million as impaired PCL was more than offset by a performing PCL release. Expenses increased 6% year-over-year, mainly reflecting an increase in the retailer program partner's net share of profits from the U.S. strategic card portfolio, primarily on lower PCL. Absent the partner share of PCL, adjusted expenses increased 1%. Because the year-over-year change in PCL remains large, the accounting for the U.S. strategic cards portfolio program continues to have a significant impact on expenses, as well as total bank pre-tax, pre-provision earnings and operating leverage. Slides 22 to 23 of the presentation show how we calculate PTPP and operating leverage at the total bank level by removing this impact along with the impact of foreign currency translation, which was significant again this quarter. The slides show that total bank PTPP was up 3% year over year and 11% quarter over quarter, reflecting strong revenue growth in our retail segments partly offset by a decline in wholesale revenue. Please turn to slide 10. Canadian retail net income was $2.1 billion, up $862 million year over year. On an adjusted basis, net income increased $837 million year over year. Revenue increased 9%, reflecting higher fee-based revenue in the banking and wealth businesses, and higher loan and deposit volumes partially offset by lower deposit margins. Average loan volumes rose 7%, reflecting growth in personal and business volumes. Average deposits rose 13%, reflecting double-digit growth in personal, business, and wealth volumes. Wealth assets increased 20%, reflecting market appreciation and new asset growth, including record mutual fund flows. Margin was flat to the prior quarter at 2.6, well, 2.61%. Total PCL of $100 million was higher by $137 million sequentially, mainly reflecting a smaller, recovering, performing PCL this quarter. Total PCL as an annualized percentage of credit volume was 0.08%. Insurance claims increased 4% year over year, primarily reflecting higher current year claims from business growth, partially offset by a decrease in the fair value of investments supporting claims liabilities. Reported expenses increased 8%, reflecting volume-driven and employee-related expenses, as well as higher technology and marketing costs as we continue to invest in the business. Please turn to slide 11. U.S. retail segment reported net income was U.S. $1.1 billion, up U.S. $562 million. U.S. retail bank net income was a record U.S. $891 million, up U.S. $631 million, primarily reflecting lower PCL and higher revenue, partially offset by higher expenses. Revenues increased 5%, reflecting higher fee income from increased customer activity, strong deposit growth, and higher income from PPP loans, partially offset by lower deposit margins. Average loan volumes decreased 5% year-over-year. Personal volumes decreased 1%, primarily reflecting lower home equity and credit card balances, and business loans declined 8%, reflecting paydowns and lower commercial line usage, partially offset by higher average PPP loan volumes. Average deposit volumes, excluding sweep deposits, were up 15%, including 25% growth in core consumer checking. Sweep deposits were up percent Net interest margin was 2.16% up one basis point sequentially. Total PCL, including only the bank's share of PCLs for the strategic cards portfolio, was a recovery of U.S. $74 million, higher by U.S. $99 million sequentially on a smaller recovery in performing PCL. The U.S. retail net PCL ratio was negative 0.18%. Expenses increased 2%, primarily reflecting higher investments in the business. The contribution from TD's investment in Schwab was US $161 million, compared with a contribution of US $230 million from TD Ameritrade a year ago. Please turn to slide 12. Wholesale net income was $330 million, a decrease of 25%, reflecting lower revenue, partially offset by lower PCL and lower non interest expenses. Revenue was $1.1 billion, down 22%, primarily reflecting lower trading-related revenue, partially offset by higher other revenue and advisory fees. PCL was $2 million. Expenses were down 5%, primarily reflecting lower variable compensation, partially offset by higher employee-related costs from continued investments in wholesale banking's US dollar strategy. Please turn to slide 13. The corporate segment reported a net loss of $205 million in the quarter compared with a net loss of $130 million in the third quarter last year. The year-over-year increase reflects a lower contribution from other items, acquisition and integration charges related to the Schwab transaction, and higher net corporate expenses. Adjusted net loss for the quarter was $122 million compared with an adjusted net loss of $76 million in the third quarter last year. Please turn to slide 14. Common equity tier one ratio ended the quarter at 14.5%, up 25 basis points from Q2. We had strong organic capital generation this quarter, which added 45 basis points to CET1 capital. Closing of the Wells Fargo Canadian direct equipment finance business and Headlands Tech Global Markets acquisitions during the quarter collectively accounted for 15 basis points of capital. Higher RWA net of FX and other items subtracted a further five basis points from capital, mainly attributable to higher credit risk and market risk uh, RWA. RWA increased $10 billion on a quarter, by, quote, quarter over quarter basis, mainly reflecting higher market risk and credit risk risk, weight, risk weighted assets. The increase in market risk RWA reflected the expiry of Aussie's temporary reduction of the SVAR multiplier. And the increase in credit risk RWA reflected higher wholesale banking exposures, the impact of FX and acquisitions, partially offset by positive credit migration in Canadian and U.S. retail. The leverage ratio was 4.8% this quarter, and the LCR ratio was 124%, both well above regulatory minimums. I'll now turn the call over to Ajay.
5: Thank you, Riaz, and good afternoon, everyone. Please turn to slide 15. Gross impaired loan formations decreased three basis points quarter over quarter to 11 basis points, a 16 year low, and were lower across all segments. Please turn to slide 16. Gross impaired loans declined three basis points or 152 million quarter over quarter to 2.65 billion, reflecting the ongoing impact of support programs, customer resilience, and the economic recovery. Please turn to slide 17. Recall that our presentation reports PCL ratios, both gross and net, of the partner's share of the U.S. strategic card PCLs. We remind you that PCLs recorded in the corporate segment are fully absorbed by our partners and do not impact the bank's net income bank recorded a PCL recovery of 35 million in the quarter, reflecting a performing allowance release, partially offset by cyclically low impaired provisions. Please turn to slide 18. Bank's impaired PCL was 244 million, with all segments contributing to 141 million quarter over quarter decrease. Performing PCL was a recovery of 279 million this quarter, compared to a recovery of 758 million last quarter. The current quarter recovery reflects additional allowance releases in the Canadian retail, US retail, and corporate segments. Please turn to slide 19. The allowance for credit losses Decreased 258 million to 7.7 billion quarter over quarter, reflecting a performing allowance release largely related to continued improvement in credit conditions. In summary, credit performance has trended positively this year as we have progressed through the pandemic, and PCLs may continue to be relatively low through the balance of the fiscal year. While credit performance has been satisfactory, uncertainty associated with the ultimate credit impact of COVID-19 remains elevated and credit results may vary by quarter. CD, however, remains well positioned to manage through the balance of the pandemic given we are adequately provisioned We have a strong capital position, and we have a business that is broadly diversified across products and geographies. With that operator, we are now ready to begin the Q&A session.
1: Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star one on your device's keypad. You may cancel your question at any time by pressing star 2. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while the participants register. Thank you for your patience. The first question is from Gabriel Deschain with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead.
8: Woohoo, Number one. Um, first of all, Bob, uh, congratulations on uh, your retirement, and uh, you know, uh, good luck, um, you know, in the next phase. And uh, congrats to Riaz for uh, stepping in there. Uh, so, as far as my question goes, it's for uh, the U.S. business. Um, I saw that you made some changes to your deposit product lineup. You added one. That doesn't charge overdraft fees anymore, and then the uh, I guess the existing product you know some more some curves or limits on how many times you can charge overdraft and at what level they're triggered. is this uh, stuff that's going to have any noticeable impact on the uh, revenue line in the u s in the coming quarters because uh, I understand the uh, that 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 fee source is a pretty substantial one
9: well Gabriel, uh, first of all, thank you for the question. hope all as well. Um, let me just provide a little context why why we did that and why we rolled the product out we call it bank essential first as you know you know our model uh, in the u.s we're particularly um, focused on uh, making sure we're covering all of the communities in which we do business and uh, still to a large part unfortunately there was a lot of uh, unbanked or underbanked populations uh, in the u.s uh, really throughout the footprint and you know in doing our own research and seeing where the market was moving Um, We thought this was the right approach uh, to making sure we're providing banking services to the new to bank environment, uh, as well as those that have been troubled by overdrafts in the past. And um, uh, Bank Essential really is a a non-overdraft product that you cannot overdraw. There there are no checks, but you get all the benefits of uh, ATM, digital, online banking, and certainly the debit capabilities that go along with it. So we think this is a positive product, and um, you know, we're already getting really good feedback in just a, a couple of short weeks from the field, and, uh, and folks are embracing it. I do want to say, though, that uh, you know for our core customers that are in the banking world, there is a definite place for the overdraft product and the ability to make sure that items get paid and, uh, and folks continue to uh, have access to, to items that are clearing through their account. Whether they're at the register or or through the check, and um, uh, you know overdraft still has a place. Uh, what I would say is that uh, some of the changes that we made into the number of limits uh, to your question and how many times you can overdraw and the actual uh, thresholds uh, to overdraw, we just think these were uh, better experiences for our customer, and uh, and we really wanted to make sure that we continue to face off with uh, you know our 10 million customers and and uh, and stay very competitive with the market so we think these were positive changes as to the impact um this is not going to have a material impact on our on our l or our performance um but um you know uh we would think that the the combination of these changes if you'd size them uh, they could be worth 40 or 50 million dollars but this is this is not going to uh uh change the narrative of our of our pnl
8: is that for? obviously
9: Obviously, we'll continue to watch where the market moves with these developments, and uh, you know we'll stay current on our product
8: suite. Is that is that per annum or per quarter?
9: No, no, that would that's a per
8: annum, though. Okay, all right. Well, uh, thanks for that, Greg. Appreciate the uh, the, the quantification there and uh, and the rationale, which I which I totally understand as well. Thank you, and enjoy the rest of your summer. Thank you.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Doug Young with Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
10: Hi. Good afternoon. Um, Just, Barrett, in your uh, opening remarks, you talked a bit about P&C margin pressure easing. So, the question, um, maybe it's more to to Terry and Greg but uh, and for Riaz, but have we, I guess the question is, have we hit a trough in, in NIMS at the divisional level, or is there structurally some further pressure that we should be expecting? Any guidance on that side? And then as we roll that up to top of the house, is there anything else in corporate that could cause some uh, noise in nims as we go forward, and, and maybe Greg, within your answer, was there any impact from the triple T prepayment on margins in this quarter? Thanks.
3: Let me just, uh, just from an overall bank perspective, Doug, this is Barrett, and then pass it on to Terry and, and Greg to talk about you know each of our major businesses. But generally, you know, th- this number keeps on bumping around as you've heard. Generally, there's been a downward pressure on this. So you know, the quarter to quarter, it can bump around. But as long as rates are (coughs) where they are and, you know, business continues to grow, there there may be pressure, uh, downward pressure. But without a doubt, you know, a lot of the the repricing that has occurred, uh, you know, we're coming towards the end of this cycle rather than towards the beginning of this cycle. Uh, So why don't I pass it over to Terry? You know, perhaps she can comment on on your, your divisional question and then maybe Greg can pick it up at his end. And then Greg can pick up your question on the, the triple P loans.
0: Okay. Thanks, Barrett. It's Terry. Um, I would say there's not a lot to add uh, from uh, our business perspective to what Barrett had said. Uh, we, you know, we were pleased that the pressures eased, and in fact, the margins were flat uh, sequentially. Uh, there are still you know, sort of – there's still downward pressure uh, going forward, um, and that's again, there are a lot of moving parts, um, so not a lot to add, Barrett, to what you said.
9: Well, thanks for the question. Um, and uh, the, way, the way I'd say about the U.S., I think Barrett uh, categorized it uh, very appropriately. On any given quarter, this thing will bump around a bit. Uh, but I would say the general uh, uh, direction, it could still uh, have some pressure in, in subsequent quarters. Uh, and it's mostly because um, what we're seeing is we're still seeing the mix of the business and deposits uh, really overwhelming loan growth. And deposits continue to come in um, at a At a very robust pace, even though we still have uh, some of that growth in our year over year comparisons at this point and still growing double digits, the other aspect of it, as we know is that while the long rates while the short end of the curve is is in the base year over year, you know you still have some pressure on the long end as we reprice investments that are maturing, and there 's still some downward pressure there. What I was pleased to see in this past quarter is some a stabilization and strengthening in our in our loan margins, which was uh, a very constructive, as we were up one basis point quarter over quarter. And to answer your question directly, PPP uh, in this quarter it may had uh, maybe two basis points of impact to to the upside.
10: Okay. And Andreas, there's nothing as I pulled that up to the top of the house. Like none of that's surprising. But as I pull up to the top of the house, there's nothing else that's that I should be thinking about at the corporate level.
4: No, Doug, not in a structural way. I mean, uh, Terry and uh, Greg have called out balance sheet flows and the volatility in rates and market conditions, but sometimes uh, sort of in the corporate segment, you can see some volatility come out from uh, hedging arrangements and uh, issues like that. So uh, I would say that uh, to echo Barrett's uh, comments that we're kind of more into closer to uh, just... uh, Business as usual developments on margins as some of the rate cut impacts that we saw the significant rate cut impacts We saw last year are now kind of in a year-over-year sense uh, worked out
10: Perfect helpful and then just a second Terry on the wealth management earnings uh, They were down 45 million sequentially from last or from last quarter sequentially, but uh, can you talk a bit? What about what drove this I was a bit surprised by that and is there anything unusual in there? Uh, so thanks for the question
0: I guess I would say, you know, Wealth NIAT was up, you know, 16% year over year. There was a, sequen- a sequential uh, decline, as you mentioned. Uh, really, that would be um, all to do with sort of levels of trading activity. Um, you can see in the appendix of the presentation on page 25, sort of the makeup of the, of the wealth earnings. Um, and so I guess I would comment that, you know, real strength in the advisory parts of the business Uh, You know, Q3 was our highest um, Q3 ever uh, for mutual fund, long-term mutual fund net sales. And uh, I think we haven't seen levels like that back until probably 2015 or something like that. Uh, So real strength. And that's really a tribute to the investments that uh, Leo Salome and uh, our teams have been making in advisors and in capabilities to serve our customers. And on the transaction revenue, I mean, we'd probably come from three times what would have been the normal rate uh, pre-pandemic down to something like two times uh, what you know we would have seen. And I think as we think forward around transaction revenue, we would still expect it to remain above pre-pandemic levels.
10: Thank you.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Manny Grauman with Scotia Bank. Please go ahead.
11: Hi, good afternoon. Uh, this is a question uh, regarding loan growth. Uh, Uh, in PNC Canada. When I look uh, at uh, TD and track it versus uh, the peer average, it looks like TD's been lagging the peer average since about uh, Q120. And so when I look at that, you know, I wonder what's going on. One thing that comes to mind is that, you know, you adjusted your risk appetite more aggressively as a result of, of COVID. And certainly the gap with peers appears to have enlarged around the height of COVID. So I'm just wondering if if that is uh, in any way part of the story and then, and then i have a follow-up
0: so maybe i'll step back uh you know really pleased and you know we're really paying attention to what are, what are those signs of momentum and i think our sequential performance uh was very strong uh across the board for pnc um, if i look at lending uh, and sort of break it apart you know, commercial lending was really strong this quarter um, and you know that had three elements to it. One was the Wells acquisition. Uh, but even without that, uh, real strength in uh, growth in commercial lending. Uh, and we saw that with some uh, commercial loan utilization coming back. Obviously it's still well off pre-pandemic levels, but kind of Q1 was the dip and it's continued to uh, we've continued to see utilization grow since then, so that's a positive and there's room to grow there and then uh, real estate and sort of any real estate related businesses obviously there's real strength and demand there and so uh, commercial was a real uh, source of strength Uh, real estate secured lending uh, on a a sequential basis uh, we were a bit behind the peers Uh, if you look at uh, market share data for the 2021 calendar year what's been reported to date given the scale of our business uh, over the first four months of the calendar year we did take share that may bump around over the next few quarters, but I'm confident with the investments that we've made in advisors and capabilities for our customers um, that uh, we'll see us, uh, you know, continuing to build uh, that market share position over the coming year. And then credit cards, obviously, another component. And to the specific of your question, both for unsecured personal lending and credit cards, uh, we would have seen both the, the economic activity impacts which disproportionately given our particular cards mix towards travel uh, and, and premium cards uh, you know, has impacted us. Having said that, uh, you would have seen uh, in this uh, quarter you know, unbelievable uh, sales results, uh, strength uh, 21% up year over year, so we're really seeing the economic activity come back uh, in spend. Uh, And, uh, you know, we're seeing that in a time when still travel is about 62% off, uh, you know, sort of the levels pre-pandemic. Part of the story is uh, the return to some of the risk strategies that um, we've been a little more cautious on through the pandemic, things like balance transfer and uh, limit increase offers, and those are predominantly back in market, and we should see the benefits of those going forward. If you look at Q3 results, Uh, interest-bearing loans are down slightly but promo loans and the free period are actually up and historically those turn into interest-bearing loans over a period of time so I think we're well positioned both with uh, you know travel to come back international travel and FX in particular uh, and then uh, these offers being back in market to and then the breadth of our product uh, availability and our partnerships in cards uh, to capture demand going forward
5: And just if I can just comment or two, you know, from my perspective, there's really no change in risk appetite in in Terry's business, and as she outlined, there was some selective tightening, you know, during the uh, pandemic, and that's uh, for the large part reinstated. The other comment I'd make is, in the risk department, we certainly look at the origination quality very closely, and uh, and we're satisfied with what we're seeing.
10: And just as
11: a follow-up. Terry, how important is it to get uh, back above average? Is that something you're, you track, or, or you don't look at it that way? And then, and then when do you expect to get above? Well, the, uh,
0: so, in the so I guess commercial, I'd say going really well uh, in terms of real estate secured lending. As I mentioned, uh, you know the, the percentage growth versus the scale of our business and the share growth. We are actually taking share in the first four months of the year and expect to continue. Uh, to take share going forward, so uh, comfortable that we've got the right strategies and investments in place. And then on credit cards, uh, I would uh, attribute, you know, we're kind of middle of the pack right now, and I would attribute that again to the mix of the book. Um, you know, we've got the Amazon partnership, which is unique to TD and delivering great results. Uh, Barrett mentioned the shop with points redemptions that are only available to TD customers. We have the partnerships through Aeroplan. Uh, including a unique uh, capability for Canadians to get bonus offers through Starbucks. And you may have just seen an announcement that Aeroplan will be partnering with the LCBO, so another great opportunity for TD card holders only. Uh, and then uh, the Instacart subscription uh, sort of work that we're doing. So I, I feel overall like we are well-positioned. Uh, there's nothing uh, sort of standing in our way as economic uh, activity returns to uh, regaining a
11: leadership position.
1: Thank you, Trent. Thank you. The next question is from Ibrahim Punawala with Bank of America. Please go ahead.
12: Good afternoon. I, I guess uh, just uh, Terry, maybe sticking with credit cards. Uh, there's been a fair amount of conversation around uh, BNPL over the last few months. As you think about uh, the growth of that product, one. Remind us everything that you are doing in terms of partnerships uh, to grow that. And secondly, given just um, your positioning in uh, in the credit card business, both in the U.S. and Canada, do you agree with the view that the the economics of the cards business and what that business might look as we emerge, come out of the pandemic, is likely to be very different, impacted by the liquidity that the consumers have and the adoption of the BNPL uh,
0: so there's a lot in that question let me let me start with the sort of the, 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 the end of your question on the economics of the business so as, as I talked about real strengths in uh, customer activity and therefore other income was very strong uh, and uh, you know I would think that as that activity continues we would continue to see strength there clearly what uh, you know we are building loan balances but that will lag the customer activity um, and uh, but I have no reason uh, not, I, I believe that we will have sequential uh, loan balance growth uh, sustained over the coming period of time as the activity returns, and that will obviously uh, lead to further profitability so i don't see any sort of permanent impact it's a timing issue from my perspective more than a, an issue uh, as it relates to buy now pay later um, we are paying attention to this uh, evolution uh, i don't See it in the near term being an impact to uh, our ability to uh, continue to grow profitably. Um, having said that, we are uh, playing in the space uh, with our MBNA uh, card offering. We do have a post-purchase installment plan capability that's been in market for a number of months, and it has uh, it's it's worked well. Uh, and we've built that in such a way that it is uh, leverageable in our Visa. Uh, credit card portfolio and so that's something that we'll continue to evaluate Um, and then uh, in the US business uh, you may be aware that we have both pre and post purchase capability in the retail card services business uh, and we have uh, also uh, an opportunity with select merchants in a partnership with a FinTech uh, to do uh, point-of-sale purchase installment lending And so, you know, one of the things TD's done a great job of is, you know, sort of leveraging capabilities on either side of the border, learning uh, on either side of the border, and then implementing as it makes sense for our customers uh, going forward. So I'd say it's a space we're paying attention to. I don't see it having any material impact in the near term, and we've got good experience uh, in the product.
12: That's helpful, Thank you. And I guess just... uh, uh, Bob, Arias, congratulations uh, to both of you. Uh, Maybe a word on the wholesale business. Uh, You've been investing and growing that for the last number of years. Uh, Give us a sense of, as we come out of this, where are the market share opportunities for TD in the wholesale business? Is it a product? Is it a geography? And and kind of how do we think about where we are in the market share growth opportunity and outlook there for that business?
3: Bob, you can really
13: set this up, (laughs) (laughs) Riaz. I can set it up in... (laughs) <laughs> give the responsibility to realize. Uh the um, so the, the it, it definitely is in uh the u s dollar uh business ibrahim uh, um, both in the u uh, s region but also in u s dollar products globally uh, and uh, I think the big uh opportunities for growth there's just you know the ongoing addition of uh corporate clients uh which were growing organically. We continue to invest in uh, adding people. Um, and uh, adding credit relationships, uh, enhancing those relationships uh, with the introduction of the, the product suite that we've been building. Uh, we've, uh, you know, more recently been invested in, uh, in uh, U.S. asset securitization products, uh, asset-backed securities. Um, you know, that, you know, we, whereas adding to our corporate bond capabilities, uh, we're very focused uh, as well on how we can uh, do more In the uh, private equity part of uh, the landscape, because that is really growing, as you all know. Um, And uh, so we're uh, we've been building out uh, relationships with uh, the private equity uh, major private equity funds in uh, in the U.S. uh, and 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 the mid cap ones as well, where where they fit the product suite. Uh, We've been focused on. Also, uh, the focus on the Canadian uh, European pension clients that have active interest in that market as well, Um, adding to our uh, product capabilities uh, in the leveraged finance, high-yield bond markets, uh, etc. So uh, we are seeing growth there, uh, lots of opportunity for growth. Uh, It's a very uh, uh, large and large market. Uh, We're looking uh, to focus on the segments of that market that we are uh, comfortable uh, and have expertise in, and, and, and can add uh, increasingly to um, on the product side we're also uh, continue to build the uh, prime service business uh, we continue to build our uh, our energy and uh, commodity trading businesses uh, our equity structured product businesses so there's there's uh, lots of opportunity but uh, you know we're, we are doing this organically and you know, they do take uh, time uh, we've uh, you know, We've more than doubled uh, our workforce in the U.S. in the last uh, seven, eight years, and uh, we're adding to it uh, this year as well. And we will add over the next uh, number of years. Um, so that you know, I, I think it's uh, it's important. That it will diversify uh, our uh, business model. Um, you know, we all we all fight for market share in, in Canada, but Canada has been uh, you know it's a relatively mature market. It's not like the U.S. is going to mature, but it's just much, much larger. And uh, we've also been working hand-in-hand uh, hand with Greg's uh, team uh, as to how we become uh, you know, increasingly successful as being a good partner uh, in pursuing a universal banking model in the U.S. And, and, and that's, uh, that's showing uh, lots of opportunity, and, and uh, we look forward to continuing to design. Thank you.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Paul Holden with CIBC. Please go ahead.
14: Thank you. Good afternoon. Um, I didn't think I'd be asking this question this deep into the uh, Q&A session, but I guess I'll ask on the discount broker threat in Canada with one of your competitors moving um, commissions to zero, how do you view that competitive threat and what strategies will you use to retain clients and, uh, and assets?
0: So it's Terry. Thanks for the question, Paul. Um, maybe I'll just level set, because I know there's been uh, some attack to quantify what this could mean uh, if a similar strategy was taken by us. And so, uh, i start with about 1% of TD's total revenue would be how we would estimate it. Uh, there's a broker-dealer fees and commissions line 1 uh, in the subpack, page 6, and uh, it's about 50% of that line would be represented by a change that would be similar. Uh, So just to give you the quantification, I guess I'd start with, you know, we have a unique uh, and differentiated uh, offering uh, in TD Direct Investing. And so, you know, I think we provide significant value uh, that uh, enables our customers and clients to achieve their goals. Uh, with us uh, and also to feel uh, very well-informed through our you know, industry-leading uh, learning uh, center and tools and capabilities that we provide, the dashboards you know, with WebBroker and uh, Thinkorswim. We have unique trading offerings. Uh, we have uh, advisors who are available and specialists who are available to our customers, uh, and uh, we continue to really add uh, content, uh, customers who leverage our learning content. Uh, provide us with very high satisfaction scores, like 20 points ahead of those that don't. And so I think that we have an offering and a platform that is a very unique uh, and, and adds significant value. And so our starting point wouldn't be that you know, we need to uh, make a change. Uh, you know, obviously, we'll continue to evaluate uh, what happens in the marketplace uh, and uh, continue to make the right decisions for our business. Um, I would uh, also offer that uh, you know, we have recently launched TD Goal Assist and so we have a new uh, offering that is available to customers who really are self-service investors where they uh, you know, want to follow a plan, uh, there's no uh, minimums, uh, there's no monthly fee, uh, no commissions for trading TD ETFs, so there is a, a, an offering sort of to meet the breadth uh, of needs of Canadian investors uh, that we feel very confident will continue to win in the future.
14: Answer, and then just one more for me, and I guess a bigger picture one. Um, the federal government announced some, um, proposals around open banking uh, relatively recently, so I'm just wondering what your thoughts are around um, open banking as a potential risk or opportunity, and how TD is prepared for that uh, eventuality.
0: Thanks. It's Terry again. And so, um you know this has been uh, a file uh, that we've paid a lot of attention to. obviously, the ability for customers to uh, share their data uh, safely and securely with full knowledge of um, where it's going and how it's being used is incredibly important uh, for us at t d uh, and we've uh, talked about that over the years. I, I think we're uh, very well prepared. Uh, uh, and interested in continuing to leverage uh, data and third-party data in particular for our TD customers and think that uh, we have some unique uh, ability to do that. Uh, we've been involved in the U.S. marketplace in standing up a data sharing platform, ACOIA, uh, and uh, by the end of this year, uh, along with other large banks in the U.S., we'll be able to, using APIs, uh, share uh, data if as customers have asked us to in an appropriate and safe fashion. Uh, and so again another example of where we're able to take uh, learnings from one market and apply them in another Uh, so we look forward to the continuing evolution of open banking Uh, we also think the uh, you know an industry led solution like in the u.s makes a lot of sense in some other global markets uh, you know this has been put forward as a, a response to unbanked that's a very small population in canada and i would say from a td perspective we think our canada post alliance will be a way to get at uh, unbanked and indigenous communities uh, across the country, and then uh, often it's uh, and it's talked about as a way to help customers switch bank accounts. More cust- very few customers switch, but more customers switch in Canada than in other markets that have enabled this capability. So I don't see it as a as an access requirement, but what I do see is for customers who want to have the ability to have their data shared, we will be well positioned to. Uh, take advantage of that capability and help them meet their goals.
14: Great. Thank you. That's it from me.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Nigel D'Souza with Veritas Investment Research. Please go ahead.
10: Thank you. Good afternoon. Uh, I wanted to first start off uh, on a quick question related to uh, trading revenue. When I look at uh, the income statement, there's a trading real, uh, income loss there of uh, about $16 million. And uh, that's against, you know, on the on the segment level at wholesale banking trading related revenue of 467 million. So I was wondering if you could just provide some color on on the the, the reconciliation there between that and, and what drove uh, at the bank level uh, that loss that we that we're seeing this quarter.
4: Uh, Nigel, let me take that. It's Riaz. uh as you, can, uh, as you know, in uh, trading products, uh, you can have a combination of uh, both interest income as well as gains and losses that materialize from the daily flows. And so the accounting for that is that the uh, interest income and uh, taxable equivalent dividends and whatnot go into NII lines, and then the uh, market uh, gains and losses go into the, uh, to, to the other income lines. So, what we do in the sub pack is we uh, uh, break that all out for you and, and, and present it as a trading related revenue, which is actually the proper line to focus on because uh, the, the trading gains and losses that gets offset with uh, NII lines as well to come up with that uh, trading related number is how uh, I position it. But unpacking it is, uh, is, is, a, is a set of complexity with, with, between line items that, 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 that can be. Uh, very detailed, So better to just focus on the trading-related uh, line item as a way of comparing quarter-to-quarter uh, quarter, uh, trends in how our global markets business are doing.
10: Okay, that, that's helpful. Maybe I'll look into the details offline. Uh, if I could just pivot on to your allowances. And when I look at TD's release this quarter, it appears that TD's being a bit more conservative uh, than some of your peers in – releasing uh, allowances on your performing loans. And I was wondering if there's anything you're seeing that uh, makes you more cautious or more conservative, or, or maybe some color on how you're thinking of the uh, how the reversal would, uh, would play out over the coming quarters.
5: Yeah, it's Ajay. Uh, let me share my thoughts with you. Now, I can't speak about the peers, but sort of if you go back and look over three quarters, you'll find that we have released 40% of the reserves we built since uh, COVID, and those reserve releases are really driven by two things, you know, the improvement in macro, and then the second is credit conditions. This quarter, what I would say is the Delta variant was uh, considered in, in greater detail, and mostly I would say in our downside case. So, so what we did is we selected a tougher downside case, which is a global slump, and that reflects that countries, including Canada and the United States, struggle to control the virus. And this could lead to additional containment measures. We also added some more weight on the downside, both for Canada and the US. So it's really the Delta variant that led to the overall macro factors tempering you know, our release this quarter. And then if I look ahead, um, You know, there are possibilities, of course, of future releases, and I think those would largely be driven by macro conditions. Uh, We would also look at the forward-looking uncertainty, and to the extent it reduces, uh, there are possibilities of uh, additional releases. Again, as Barrett said, you know, the pandemic is is not over, so you should expect uh, continued prudence from us. So let me pause there.
10: Yeah, that's helpful. Just a quick clarification on the Delta variant. It seems to be having more of a regional impact in the U.S. So, are you seeing something uh, different in your Southeast footprint versus your Northeast, or do you think about it regionally?
5: Well, what we what we know is it's spreading, and uh, right now it may be regional. But again, IFRS nine is a forward-looking measure, and you know we have to sort of think about where it might be in a. In months or even three months time and it it has a lot of momentum so as i said it's not in our base it's mostly in our downside case but we did consider it for this quarter
1: okay that's helpful thank you thank you the next question is from mike rozenovic with Credit Suisse. please go ahead
15: hi good afternoon a question for greg wanted to go back to the nsf change in the u.s and the 40 million that you referenced now can we use the call reports the regulatory call reports as a uh, sort of proxy to how much you actually earn on NSF fees in the US business? Uh,
9: You can, um, you can, I I, I would just say that, um, you know, the call reports are a fine proxy, but um, you know, a lot of times when we get talked about as a US bank and our non-interest income, Uh, percentage of overdrafts is higher than a lot of our peers obviously um, you know some of that goes to the fact that we don't have the wholesale numbers in the US business and we don't have um, you know a large as large of a wealth business uh, built up yet and you have you know lower uh, uh, lower lower drivers from some of those businesses but um, um, but those fee income uh, numbers that you call out um, uh, are fine to use as a proxy sure
15: okay that's helpful so so then with respect to the 40 million comment that that seems to be only about 10 percent of of what well i said 40
9: i said 40 to 50 million and it depends on volume right of uh interactions that you'd see but um as we model this thing out in a return to normal activity levels that's what we would see is to be the impact from these changes we made reducing the number of overdrafts you can incur per day And reducing them from five to three and raising the threshold from five dollars to ten um but we were using
15: um normalized activity in the market got it i'm just just curious like like with respect to your existing client base it just seems a bit light given you know if if you've got an option to not you know ever have to pay those fees like why would you have not sorry why would you not have more gravitation to that account with your existing client base like It's a good question,
9: but I'll go back to my opening when I talked about the product. that It doesn't have an overdraft feature, uh, first and foremost, because there's no checks that come with this product. So a lot of your existing portfolio, our existing portfolio, are not going to gravitate towards not having the ability to have check writing capabilities, number one. Most people want that. A lot of people are going to want that. And then secondly... Um, a lot of people find it actually very comforting that if something comes in, whether it's an ACH debit or a recurring payment, that there is some sort of overdraft protection doesn't allow that item to get bounced back. Um, for, a, for, a certain, for a certain segment of the population, though, that are either new to banking or um, are trying to make sure that they're not overdrafting their account and have limited transactions, don't need track, uh, check writing capability, this will be attractive. Uh, but again, there's no checks that come with this product. So you, you're going to have some folks that, that this would not be applicable for,
15: right? Right. Thanks for that call. And maybe if I just quickly pivot to Terry, is this something that could potentially come to Canada inevitably? Uh, and, and I'm not sure if you can quantify, but should we be looking at maybe the U.S. as a proxy in terms of how much of uh, the revenue in the Canadian business would come from uh, the NSF-type fees?
0: So it's Terry. um, So the proportion would be much lower in in the Canadian business uh, as a starting point. And then I would say, you know, we do have a basic banking account available uh, in Canada and for many of the same reasons uh, that Greg has cited, you know, overdraft protection is a convenience uh, and and peace of mind product Uh, and we have the opportunity for people to either pay as they go in most provinces or pay a a flat fee for uh, the service. And so, you know, I, I don't necessarily see uh, a reaction to this in the same way, just given that uh, it's a very uh, meaningful and useful product for Canadians.
4: Okay, thank you both for the
10: color.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Darko Mihalic with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
16: Hi, thank you, Terry. I just want to go back to uh, the discussion on... Um, you know, the transaction uh, fees and, and the decline there. So you know, from the outside looking in, it's hard for us to know, you know, with such a big decline quarter over quarter, um, you know, it, it's hard for us to know whether there is other underlying currents happening in, in the business. And what I mean by that is, you know, apart from potentially some of your customers going to uh, starting to trade with zero commissions, I doubt that's had an impact this quarter. But, you know, things like uh, fractional share ownership, um Cryptocurrency trading—is there any? Um, do you think that's having any impact to the business? Is this something that TD um, is considering addressing? Um, can you maybe just talk to those potential threats to the business, or conversely, maybe their opportunities? I don't know, but is—is is, do you think any of that's having any impact with respect to those to those revenues?
0: But thanks for the question. I probably go back to uh, you know we're coming off of very high uh, levels of trading uh, relative to what would have been the normal pre-pandemic. And so, you know, you know that three times to two times and, and an expectation that we have that we would continue to remain above pre-pandemic levels, I think, is a positive uh, and speaks to the uh, breadth of offering and the value of the platform that I talked about earlier. Uh, obviously, we continue to monitor the market and some of the things that you've identified Uh, are uh, likely opportunities for the business uh, in the longer term. Uh, You know, we do pay close attention to the flows um, and, you know, I think one um, stat uh, that might be helpful is when we look at the um, uh, assets under administration in Q3 of customers under the age of 30, they actually grew sequentially. And so, you know, we are seeing a capture of uh, quality customers in that age bracket, which is something that I know people pay attention to. Uh, so, just I would reiterate just the the strength and breadth of this offering, uh, and and obviously we stay close to the market. And uh, you know, the launch of TD Goal Assist was very recent, and it is a reaction to uh, what's happening in the market. And I can anticipate us continuing to deliver uh, against uh, enhanced customer expectations over the coming periods.
16: Okay, thanks for that. And Terry, you had a big jump in card services fees. Uh, and even service charges. Can you just give us an idea? Of, I mean, it looks different from peers as well. Can you give us any insight into that?
0: Certainly the the service charges would be uh, just, again, client activity returning. Um, and so you know, activity levels would be the main driver.
16: Okay. Th- thank you very much. And, uh, again, Bob, best of luck in retirement. And, uh, and Riaz, congrats.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Lamar Prasad with Cormark Securities. Please go ahead.
10: Thanks. My question is probably for Greg. Can you provide the total dollar impact of paydowns in the U.S. on loan growth this quarter? Then maybe some comments on the expectation moving forward. I guess ultimately where I'm trying to get at is I'm trying to understand what we can expect to see loan growth in the U.S. come back in a in a more meaningful way. Are we talking, say, A quarter or two out, or is it somewhere further down the road?
9: Hi, well, thanks for the question. And uh, it's something obviously we're certainly very focused on. But let me just uh, take a step back and just uh, make sure we uh, just level set where we are in the U.S. and what most of our peers are seeing as far as loan growth. I think it's important to provide that context. And as you would have seen by much of their second quarter numbers as well, um, you know. we would have been on the on the better side of the group, whether it's the regionals, and really, especially if you measure in the money centers, had far more substantial declines year over year in loan growth because of paydowns, particularly on the commercial side and in some of their card portfolios. Uh, and then just going on the context, as I said, in the last couple of quarters, you're seeing pressure on loan growth because of all of the government stimulus, and that's showing up in our deposit balances. And um uh, so on the consumer side, there's been a whole host of uh, programs that continue to play out and are providing liquidity, and you're seeing pressure on cards balances. And on the commercial side, starting on the on the low end, on, on the uh, small business side, PPP has had just a, a tremendous impact with the hundreds of billions of dollars of liquidity it's put into the system, and you're seeing depressed loan growth and paydowns. On the commercial and corporate side, certainly Bob's business and, and my business, you're seeing paydowns occur specifically because of excess liquidity in the system, but also because of the cheap money and access to capital markets. You're seeing a lot of even revolving credits pay down and various forms of bank debt uh, being retired or certainly not being leveraged. Utilization rates are at all-time lows that I can remember going back uh, uh, quite a long time. And, and so those are all the pressure points. What I would say is that, and I've mentioned this in the last quarter too, is we were expecting on the, as the recovery takes hold into the back end of this year, we would have expected to start to see some pickup in loan growth and loan volume. And just one little uh, tidbit of real-time data. You know, I know you're looking at the averages and what we're reporting here, but also in the material we're giving you spot balances and you're beginning to see some signs of green shoots for loan growth in the U.S. If you're looking at the spot numbers, you're seeing more robust uh, second quarter to third quarter growth in mortgages, in cards are actually up and positive, not down. Uh, and you're seeing the same in the auto business. Uh, so uh, what I'd say is that, that's certainly a positive, and we continue to watch on the commercial side. You know, the teams, uh, if you look at my business on the commercial side, we're underwriting a ton of business. Uh, but just as quickly as we're putting it on, which is generating good fee income as well, uh, there's a lot of refinancing going on for long-term structures in the capital markets. And we're going to continue to watch for that growth on the commercial side. But we would expect that in the back half of the calendar year to
16: start emerging.
10: Okay, thank you.
1: Thank you. There are no more questions in the queue at this time. I would now like to return the call to Mr. Barrett Masrani for closing remarks.
3: Thank you, Operator, and and great questions on many issues. Just to reiterate, and I think you you heard it in in some of the responses, given the scale uh, and profile of our businesses, in the U.S. we have 10 million customers, TD Essential Banking, which is the new product that – just got introduced, uh, addresses a specific small segment of the underbanked within our footprint. So just to keep that in perspective, you know, with respect to some of the questions that Terry was getting, once again, it's not we haven't seen, you know, compression in pricing in some of these products before. But as you've seen previously that, you know, we adjust our products, we adjust, you know, how we position the market, and we think, you know, we have a, a value proposition that is compelling. So we'll see how all these things play out, but you know, suffice it to say, given the scale, size, and profile of TD, you know, we feel comfortable as to how we can sort of navigate through some of these issues that was brought up on the call. As a overall, uh, very happy with the results. I think you know, the momentum as it gets built, as we get this pandemic more behind us, uh, is great. I think you know, sequential quarter performance in various metrics that folks uh, have been citing, like PTPP growth. And I know it's a complicated number for us because you have got to adjust for partnerships, strategic card, you know, adjustments, et cetera. But I'm sure Jillian and Riaz and Kelvin will, will help you folks out. But overall, you know, I feel good, you know, that uh, there's great momentum in the business and, and, and it looks like, you know, we're getting out of this pandemic with good uh, growth potential. I do want to, uh, as usual, you know, thank 90,000 TD bankers around the world. They do a great job and continue to deliver for our shareholders. I also want to take a moment to recognize the changes we announced to our senior executive team, which take effect on September the 1st. Now, many of you mentioned this. Bob will be retiring from his role as president and CEO of TD Securities, but he's not going far. He will stay on as chairman at at TD Securities, as uh, as well as an advisor to me. Riaz, as all of you know, will be taking on uh, the president and CEO role at TD Securities, after almost six years as CFO. And we will welcome Kelvin Tran and Barbara Hooper to the senior executive team, Kelvin as CFO, and Barbara as EVP, corporate development, treasury, and strategic sourcing. I look forward uh, to continuing to work with all of them in their new roles. And since this is Riaz's last call as CFO and Bob's last earnings call, I'd like to invite each of them to say a few words. Riaz?
4: Uh, thank you, Bharat. Uh, it's been a real privilege uh, to serve as uh, TD's uh, CFOs uh, for uh, nearly six years. Uh, it's really been fantastic to work with our uh, investors and analysts, and I look forward to continuing to see many of you uh, in my new role. Uh, I'm really excited to be joining TD Securities uh, with uh, sincere thanks and appreciation to Bharat uh, and to the board for the opportunity. Uh, Bob and the TDS leadership team have built a terrific franchise, and I feel lucky to be joining this uh, very talented team. And also thrilled, equally thrilled, to see Calvin and Barb taking on their new roles. Uh, we do have a top finance and treasury organization. And to my colleagues there, I'd just like to say thank you. It's been a real privilege uh, working with you. Bob?
13: Thanks, Riaz. Um, yeah, these last 20-plus uh, years at TD have been incredibly uh, rewarding. Um, I feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to uh, work with so many great people at the dealer, across the bank, uh, and in the business community. I believe that uh, working together, we've built a, an impressive dealer franchise that continues to evolve and support our clients, attract and uh, retain great talent, and uh, make a lasting uh, difference in the communities in which we're involved. I look forward uh, to all the success that's to come for TD Securities as REE as, re- as transitions transitions uh, into the president and CEO role next week. he we have got a great team to work with. I also look forward to uh, continuing to support the dealer's client coverage uh, through my efforts as a chairman and also uh, continue to work with Barrett. But I'd like to thank Barrett, the entire senior executive team, and the board for their support and guidance over the years. And last but not least, uh, thank you to everyone at TD Securities for a great partnership. We've accomplished so much together. And now I'll turn it back to Barrett uh, for his uh, final words. Thanks very much,
3: Bob, and thank you, Riaz. You know, congratulations to all the new folks uh, in their new positions. Looking forward to great things. And thank you all for, for calling in and a great, engaging call I look forward to seeing you in the next, uh, hopefully we can meet in person one of these days. Uh, Otherwise, we'll talk 90 days from now. Stay safe and stay healthy. All the best.
1: Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and we thank you for your
7: participation